0: Hi everyone, this is Georgiana and you're listening to Employer Branding, the Inside Podcast and today, spectacularly, I'm talking to someone who is neither from Romania nor from Germany, but from England, David Thompson, welcome on on our podcast and uh, I'm so happy to have you here today.
1: Hello Georgiana, it's lovely to be on, thank you very much, very excited to be speaking to you.
0: Um David has actually been employer branding consultant and director for employer branding Made Easy for a while but has worked in employer branding and in, and in uh, recruitment marketing for about 20 years so I uh, I'm sure David you have a lot to share but b- before we get to talking please tell me exactly what your role entails and why not what your daily duties involve
1: yeah Thanks, Georgiana. So, yes, I'm um, David Thompson. I've worked in employer brand agencies for uh, more than 20 years. Um, and I got to a point uh, a few years ago where Um, I love employer branding, but I I felt there wasn't enough um, uh, knowledge shared within um, the industry for the people who needed Mm -hmm. it. So I set up my own um, little business called Employer Branding Made Easy. Uh, And what we do is uh, help organisations to uh, up their game in employer branding uh, and become self-sufficient. So we've developed a series of online courses uh, that people can go through um, to learn more and to learn how to become self-sufficient, and then we support them with some consultancy and coaching for their teams as well. So it's all about helping organizations become more self-sufficient in employer branding.
0: Employer branding made easy. Is it usually hard? And how can companies be persuaded to invest more time and interest into building a professional employer brand?
1: Uh, It's a good question. Is it hard? I, I think it's been made a lot harder than it needs to be Uh, And in all honesty, you know, I should have called the company Employee Branding Made Easier. It doesn't sound as good as (laughs) Employee Branding Made Easy. Um, But but yeah, I think it's been made hard. I think the agencies um, who who, um, mainly, um, you know, people turn to keep a lot of the knowledge very close to their chests um, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. don't want to share it, obviously, because that's how they make their money. Um, So what I'm finding is... um, there's a lot of demand for employer branding skills within organisations but not a lot of places to get those skills but the skills themselves are not that hard you just need someone to show you what to do you just need a process you just need to be able to understand how to do things um, so it, it, it's hard when you don't know what you're doing but it's not so hard when you do know what you're doing mm-hmm. so it's it's all mm-hmm. about getting more education out there and hopefully that's what our courses do so Um, Now, how can people be persuaded to invest more time? Well, that's always that's a that's a really interesting one, isn't it? I think we all kind of inherently know employer branding is a good idea, but sometimes um, actually proving that can be a different matter. Um, We're so used to coming in in the world of recruitment with. We live in a very transactional world still, where we're used to paying a certain amount of money and seeing an instant return for a hire. Um, And employer branding can be a little bit more uh, elusive than that. It takes time to work. Exactly. Um, Mm -hmm. Sometimes you don't instantly see a hire for it. You know, Um, it's it's more about influence than instant results. Um, So, but there are lots of great statistics out there now that you can use to back up your business case. Um, You know, if you look at uh, things like LinkedIn, for example, there are stats that will show you, you know, how many, the savings that can be made, the Mm -hmm. increasing Mm -hmm. uh, levels of engagement that can be achieved, and you could apply these kind of bits of research to your own company and your own statistics to show the powers that be, you know, okay, guys, if we do this, we are going to save this much. Uh, So that's my kind of observation from my time. If if you want to get interest within your organization, um, you really need to show kind of financial measures because everybody is still very much transactionally driven. But actually, the reality is the benefits of employer branding are far more than just cost savings and transactional savings, you know, and are far more long term. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, as, As I was telling you before we started recording, David, it's, it's basically the same issue that I've had for years when it comes to digital marketing and to content marketing and to seeing results and to how long it takes before you actually see some results. So it's, it's good that you said it. Maybe people yeah. will, uh, will understand that this is what it is and it, it actually requires time before you can, yeah. you can say that it worked.
1: Yes, it needs time and a bit of a leap of faith, you know, a little bit of, yes, you know, trust me, this will work, basically. Um, But the the result, I I think it's increasingly, it's it's gone beyond the point for me, Employee branding, of being a nice to have Mm -hmm. that you can Mm -hmm. do if you've got some spare, you know, spare cash or, you know, or as just for big organisations. To me, we're at the point now where if you do not have a strong employer brand, and this is what I'm seeing from all of my clients that I'm speaking to, whether they're SMEs, big organizations, yeah. regardless of sector, yeah. if you don't have a great story to tell and you're not telling it well, you are going to struggle to find talent. It really doesn't matter what sector you're in at the moment. So so it's becoming more and more of, you know, it's gone beyond being a nice to have, and it's now an absolutely critical kind of pillar of any resourcing absolutely. strategy, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. David, you've worked with many, many companies these these past years. And could you say that there are sectors in which companies are more open towards considering employer branding? Yeah, I think there is. Um, they tend to
1: fall into two categories for me. One is need-driven. So okay. sectors where there are kind of chronic skill shortages, um, where, uh, you know, kind of... Recruiters have just reached the end of their rope and have gone. The, I need to do something else. You know, mm-hmm. the, the current the current yeah. methodologies don't work. They tend to be in the UK, certainly at the moment, where I do most of my work, tech. Um, obviously, you know, huge skill shortages in tech, uh, conventional measures of posting jobs on job boards just doesn't work. Um, so tech is one. Care and healthcare care is another, uh, in this country, is, is, is another major sector. Hmm, um, okay. We have an aging po- ageing population. Um, and there are simply not enough people to uh, kind of meet the needs um, of, of, of working care. So that's a, that's a sector where there's a high demand as well. And the other kind of category they fall into is organisations that are already used to and quite adept at the idea of branding um, and, as a principle. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And a good one, you know, but one of the key ones there is retail. Um, so retail organizations generally, um, you know, they realize, okay, well, we stand or fall on our brand. Uh, therefore, transferring those principles from brand marketing into employer branding is an easier journey. So, yeah, I'd say tech, care and retail are probably the three areas where I do most of my work. Having said that, you know, there's still engineering, there's still construction, um, all sorts of other sectors where there's still a lot, a lot of work going on as well.
0: Got it. Well, David, while talking to HR managers across Germany and Romania, it is more and more clear to me that a thriving company culture is a flexible, open one where the most valuable asset are stunning colleagues. Do you agree or do you disagree with the Netflix philosophy?
1: I think I agree to an extent, Georgiana. Um, I I think as a statement, it's kind of it's correct. Um, you know, stunning colleagues. Absolutely, everybody wants stunning colleagues. But I think the reality is not everybody can have stunning colleagues. True. Um, I think it kind of, it works for Netflix because obviously, you know, cool tech startup type vibe. Um, yes, that absolutely works for them. But if I'm a small manufacturing company outside Berlin, not in industrial estate, mm-hmm. Does, does, mm-hmm. does that work for me? Not so much. So um, I think... Uh, you know the idea of a, a flexible you know open uh, culture is great but sometimes employees need a little bit more kind of guidance than that uh, and they just want to come in and do their job and do their job effectively um so i think it, it works for some and not for others but for me what i've seen universally work doesn't matter what kind of company you are or what kind of people you're employing, is those companies that manage to communicate a sense of purpose, you know, have everybody in the organisation connected to what we're doing, why we're doing it, and what this will mean for everyone. That to me seems to be where strong company cultures come from. It's a sense of purpose. Um, yeah, that those, those organisations, mm-hmm. doesn't matter where mm-hmm. they are or what they do, seem to do better and have happier employees and organizations with happier employees perform better so that would be my observation on that one
0: wow yeah i think that's that's really interesting and and useful input and david how much do you and your company take data into account when developing an employer branding strategy and what kind of data if you do
1: yeah we use data uh, as the absolute kind of you know pillar um the, the the bedrock of our employer brand strategies i've always i've always said you know employer brand uh employer branding without research is guesswork and pretty exactly. pictures nothing more um and, and i think you know over the years employer branding has as you know it started off being very creatively driven employer branding you know i just want something that looks nice you know but i think it's matured over the years and we're now at a point where we're saying look you know that that's you know that that's just the the surface it needs to be data driven um and it needs you know if it's going to be effective so we kind of focus on three types of of data three types of research Mm -hmm. when we're putting together our our strategies first one is competitor research and competitor data Um, so we make sure our employer brand strategies are kind of differentiated from the competitors Mm -hmm. there's no point in producing you know lovely materials and a strong EVP if you are saying exactly the same as everybody else you know we need to create differentiation so we do that through competitor audits Uh, And measuring, you know, very carefully what the competitors are saying and doing and making sure we're doing something different. The second bit, and for me the bit that often gets overlooked in employer branding and is absolutely critical, um, is external audience data. Understanding your audiences really well. Um, What matters to them? What do they need? What do they expect? Um, What are they looking for from their employment experience? Far too often employer brands, I think, are kind of driven from the inside out. Um, We kind of say things that we want to say without stopping to think, Is that what our audiences want to hear? So so we do lots of external audience surveys, you know, with kind of cross sections of audiences of the kind of candidates our our clients are looking for. Um, And we use that to drive a lot of our strategy. Um, You know, are we saying things that people that are really going to hit an emotional key with with, uh, our audiences? So external audience research is our second kind of phase. Our third phase is internal um, data. So we use data from engagement surveys. Um, but we was all meant that with uh, internal, other internal surveys and with focus groups um, and executive interviews. And, and we, we pulled together all of this data um, and then spend time analysing and making sense of it. So we could say, what do we need to say to be different? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What are our external audiences looking for? So what can we say that's going to be really pertinent? And then What have we got, you know, internally? What's our story? What can we say that's authentic, real, um, but compelling as well? And all of this together helps us to build our kind of EVP framework and employer brand strategy going forward. So, yeah, data is becoming ever, ever, Mm -hmm. ever more important in employer branding, I think.
0: But David, would you agree with this statement? Most companies are data rich, but information poor.
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, Data rich, but information poor. Uh, Again, to an extent. So my experience is larger organisations tend to be data rich and information poor. So they will have an ATS, uh, they will have all kinds of data pouring into that. Um, They will have talent pools of candidates, but they have no idea what to do with it. It's dead data. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, Mm -hmm. it just kind of sits there Uh, and they don't learn from it. They don't learn anything about their attraction or their marketing strategies from it. But I'd also say, when you look at smaller organisations, they are data poor and information poor. There's just no data whatsoever. Mm -hmm. You know, there's still quite many, many organisations I speak to uh, are still treating resourcing and recruitment on a role by role, very transactional basis. We've got a job, we'll advertise, we'll go to an agency, we'll fill it, we'll put a candidate in place. And then we move on, and we learn nothing. You know, we don't learn from our previous mistakes. Uh, we don't have a strategy to kind of figure out how we're going to fill the next three years worth of talent needs. Um, so there's no data and there's no information, and they get they get trapped in a cycle. You know, they're just doing the same thing over and over again with decreasing returns to scale. You know, decreasing mm-hmm. returns. Mm-hmm. It's working less and less, and they can't quite figure out why. They don't quite know what to do next. So. Having having knowledge, data, information to hand is the starting point of starting to build a, a, a proactive resourcing strategy that will kind of pull you out of this, this endless loop of just being dependent on, on agencies and job listings that are working less and less for you.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I also agree that in general, data and information also can be a powerful currency, but... Only if you know how to um, to use it wisely.
1: Only if you don't know exactly. Only if you know how to make sense of it, and to shape it, and to use it, and that can be exactly. a tough part. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes you can get overwhelmed with data as well. Sometimes you've just got so much that you can't you know there's too much data to make sense of um it's it's, fi- it's finding the right data the stuff that's really going to matter
0: and i i think you know david at the end of the day it comes to the to, to to the fact that there's just a single person managing the employer branding part in a company and that poor fellow is tasked with speaking to their colleagues and doing their engagement strategies and maintaining company culture and then i guess data just remains lying around without really being used and looked at.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. I think most, you know, only the biggest organisations have, as far as I can see at the moment, have employer brand teams, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. seeing increasing number of organisations having an employer brand manager in place. But as you say, they're a single person, and there's almost too much for a single person to get their head around. Um, So I think what we're going to see going forward, you know, as, as needs grow more, which I'm convinced they will, are more robust teams and more yep. you know more defined teams. So you'll have an employer brand uh, analyst, you know, data analyst mm-hmm. um, specifically assigned for that job, you know, rather than just giving everything to a single person and asking them to be all things to all people.
0: Exactly. You know, we at BeagleCat mostly work with tech companies who are having trouble attracting and and retaining their workforce. Would it be too strong of a statement to say that employer branding for tech is a different breed of employer branding?
1: No, I don't think it would be too strong a statement, Georgiana. I think that's true. Um, And I think that is down to uh, availability and supply of talent. So I think if you look at employer branding in most sectors, I think we're still in a position where it is about converting job seekers. So it's people who perhaps have picked up on a job listing or have seen some information, but they are in the market. You know, they are looking for a job and our job is to make sure that they choose our organisation and not the competitors'. Um, so it's about converting active job seekers. Yeah. problem is in tech is nobody is looking for a job. Nobody. Uh, the jobs come to them in tech. Exactly. Uh, they are exactly. absolutely used. They're very used to, you know, a hundred agency um, approaches every yeah, day. They're, they're
0: spoiled in that way.
1: Absolutely. You know, they don't have to look for jobs. They are overwhelmed with job offers pretty much all the time. So you have to adopt a very different tactic. You know, it has to be far more of a push marketing strategy. You know, you're having to work very hard uh, to not only get over. Hi, I'm here and we're recruiting, um, but also and you should think about moving jobs. You know, it's, it, so so it, it you know they're it, you're not converting pre-existing job seekers. You are trying to get to people who have probably no yes. interest in moving jobs or are bombarded with job offers every day. So you have to adopt very different tactics. I think.
0: You know, David. I, I think I've asked this question every guest that I've had on my podcast. So then I'm asking you as well, how, how do companies thrive in these blurry times? What have you discovered to be companies with successful strategies in corona times?
1: Wow, yeah, that's, that's the, the million-dollar question, isn't it? If, we, mm-hmm. if, the, you know, if there was an easy answer to that one, it <laughs> would be a lot easier. Um, what have I seen that, that has worked in these blurry times? I think it is those organisations... They don't necessarily have to be the best organisations. They don't have to have incredible cultures, but organisations that are able to tell their story with honesty and authenticity. They're good storytellers Um, and have worked hard to understand what their unique differentiating offer is. Uh, So they've got a clear EVP, well-defined, Um, And they've just just built the ability to tell good stories and stories that that don't just work on a kind of functional level. So they're not just stories saying, hey, here's our salary, here's our benefits. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this this is what we do as an organisation. The companies that can create an an emotional engagement with audiences Mm. so they can really get to the heart, they can make them feel something so they can tell stories about how their people feel about working for their organisation, what it's done for their lives. Um, how it's enhanced their lives those organizations that can create that emotional engagement with their candidate audiences are the ones that succeed but to do that and going back to the research part we were talking about earlier on it's those organizations that understand what their audiences want as well so rather than just saying hey here's a social media post on something we're doing you know we're having a cake weekend or whatever yeah. it is mm-hmm. they understand their target audiences and what their hopes and fears and their needs are from their roles and they understand that how to tell their stories to create an emotional impact on those audiences so those businesses that can do that are the ones i've seen who are succeeding and then it's really interesting because i was doing it. i was working with a client um a few weeks ago we did competitor research we were looking at their competitors um and the ones that seemed to be succeeding um had the some of the lowest glass door scores yeah so wow. it, they okay. weren't they weren't they weren't the best employers they were the best storytellers um, my client who I was working with had the highest glass door score of all of them and was struggling most to. Re- because they weren't mm-hmm. good storytellers. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, those those organizations that have figured out how to tell emotionally driven stories are the ones that are, you know, that's how you succeed in these blurry times.
0: I'm, I'm so, so glad you mentioned storytelling because as, as someone who's worked in content marketing for many years, I get to understand more and more the power of good storytelling, marketing and employer branding and basically all these these areas that haven't really looked at it so far and that haven't really grasped its power. (laughs)
1: you're working on a different part of the brain basically there exactly. is science behind this isn't mm-hmm. there you know um, sure. when we give people a series of facts like here are our salaries and here are our benefits it's kind of processed by the the, the neocortex part of the brain which yep. is the bit that remembers mm-hmm. you know can, can withhold facts but doesn't remember them for very long and it, and that isn't very compelled by them but when you're telling more emotional stories it's dealt by the limbic part of the brain which creates kind of an you know creates a hormonal yes. um, impact so you feel it more and You remember it more and you're compelled to take action as a result so there really is kind of science behind it isn't it you know it's not you know it it does create more exactly
0: exactly and i've been following the people at contently for for a few years now they have a lot of, of books and they have this newsletter on the power of storytelling and where it will take you if you follow it religiously and apply it into all areas of your company marketing and HR and talent acquisition and, and everything. So, so yeah, I'm once again glad you brought this up.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely.
0: David, what do you think is in store for employer branding once people get back to the physical office?
1: Whew, yes, right. I, I, I think the, the short answer to this is, I think employer branding is becoming more and more important and will really, you know, grow in importance hugely over the next couple of years. Um, I I believe there's three reasons for that. Um, Firstly, I think candidate behaviour over the last few years has changed. All the stuff that we've been talking about, candidates are now looking far more uh, for uh, the kind of information on cultures, uh, on fit, uh, on uh, ethical stance than they've ever been before. It's no longer enough just to talk about salary and benefits. You know, they're looking for much more. Um, I think the skill shortages, as far as we can see at the moment, are just going to get worse. Yes. You know, we seem to be—we mm-hmm. we, we thought we were going into a deep recession caused by um, COVID. Uh, we appear to be bouncing out of that very, very quickly, and demand in, in nearly every area seems yeah. to be pretty high. So I think skill shortages are going to drive demand for candidates even more. I also think, you know, now we're going back into the office. <clears throat> I think we're only going to partly go back into the office. I think most organisations are going to adopt a kind of hybrid model where people are going to work from home some of the time. And I think that will create um, some danger for employers. Yes, it creates brilliant cost savings for them, but could also weaken the bonds that we have with our employers. We're not in the physical office as much anymore. You know, if we're sat behind our laptops, you know, that the bonds we have with our employers are weakened. And I think employer branding is a key way of making sure those brands stay strong. You know, great storytelling about why we're in an amazing place to be and why you're in the right place. I think it's going to become increasingly important. So those three things, I think, are going to drive the importance of employer branding more. Uh, and I think we're going to see the need growing growing, and growing. I, I also think we're, we're coming to a point where there's going to be a bit of a transition in who manages employer brand. Um, and how it's managed. I think it's traditionally, as we talked about before, kind of sat in the realm of, of resourcing and one person has has done it. You know, there's, there's an employer brand manager, a recruitment marketing manager. Yeah. But I think there's going to be more and more integration across functions within organisations with marketing and consumer branding becoming more and more uh involved as well. So I think we're seeing lots of consumer brands now understanding that actually, you know what, employee branding and people marketing is as you know, just as important as our brand marketing. Mm-hmm. So I think it's mm-hmm. gonna grow across functions more. There's gonna be more co-working uh, between HR resourcing, marketing, internal communications. So it'll become more of you know a broader, a broader kind of uh, function than, than just sitting purely in resourcing. So I think it's, it's going to go through a really substantial change over the next few years. Uh, it's going to be a really exciting journey, I think. You know, it's,
0: it's a great yeah. place to be. Like like I was saying before, we're sort of riding <laughs> the wave. So let's see, uh, let's see what happens, huh?
1: Absolutely, yeah. I think it's yeah. I, I've seen more change in employer branding in the last five years than I saw in the previous 15, 20, basically. <laughs> and I think that's a, that's just yes. going to accelerate. So yeah, it's exciting times
0: exactly david what is your most endearing success story so far
1: oh that's a good question my my favorite story that i tell is isn't to do with cost savings or increased hits on websites Mm -hmm. it's to do with the value of um really understanding your people Mm -hmm. um and listening to your people um, so I was working last year with um, a, a retailer who I, I won't think, um, but they have a huge distribution centre um, in the middle of the UK um, and they were having some struggles with their engagement statistics and, and their engagement surveys weren't painting shed, shedding very much light on why that was. Um, I ran a series of focus groups with people who were working in that distribution centre. What came out was they had cold feet. Uh, The boots they were wearing were insufficient And, and as a result they were pretty unhappy. Um, and, but that had never been. The question was never asked in an engagement survey. Mm-hmm. How are your feet? Mm-hmm. You know, it, the, you can only get that by going and talking to groups of people. And engaging exactly,
0: with exactly. Um,
1: and, and what we found as a result, I kind of went back to their head office and reported back to their leadership and said, "This is what I found." And they they sat up and took notice and said, "Goodness, we had no idea." um they um acquired new boots for yeah. the people mm-hmm. um, and since then their engagement scores have risen quite considerably <laughs> it's something as imagine. simple as that but it just shows the you know the, the value <clears throat> of listening and understanding to the needs of your people but not just just depending on an engagement survey to ask a certain set of questions and just you know really listen to your people yes. and if you act on it mm-hmm. you will get their faith they will work harder and you know your, your business will be better for it so that's my favourite little
0: story that I like telling. That's that's really, really like... Um, I, I really, really like it, uh, David, and it, it's a bit like one of the client stories that we've had in the past at BeagleCat. I remember working with, with a tech company in uh, in Romania, and the employees were really unhappy with their office chairs. Yeah. Which is, you know, something that we find out by simply addressing the question, what what is it that you don't like about your current work environment? It yes. was a simple survey.
1: Simple but, thing, but you need to listen and you need to act. Exactly. But if you do that, my goodness, you can raise engagement and your employees will be happier and they'll stay longer. Yeah, um, just, just, <clears> just yeah, the, the little, little things
0: little. sometimes.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Well, David, this has been really, really nice. And now we're, we're actually approaching the end of our podcast. And so I'm going to ask my last question now, a question that I ask all, all of my guests. And that... Um, mm that in- includes a resource that helped you and that you could recommend to our listeners in employer branding, but not necessarily?
1: Yeah, no, I, well, <clears throat> firstly, obviously, I'm going to say employerbrandingmadeeasy.com. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Our website, obviously, the courses, etc. But we, we write a lot of blogs and thoughts and You know, you know tons of opinions on employer branding. So, you know, that, that, that's a good source. But that's obviously me bagging my own Trump. The other place I love uh, is a website called Employer Brand Bandwagon. Okay. Um, um It is just the musings of some really, you know, high top 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 employer branding people. Case studies on their experiences, thoughts on where employer branding is going next. Um, yeah, if you if you want to shape your thinking on on you know what a great strategy looks like, where everything is going, what you need to be to be a great employer brand manager, that's a really good source of information. So I, I can recommend that one as well.
0: Super, cool, cool. Thank you so much. David, this has been really fun. I thank you once again for joining me on Employer Branding, the Inside Podcast. And um, I wish you the best of luck in shaping the industry <laughs> further on. And uh, yeah. hope to to meet you in uh, Berlin or at the Employer Branding Conference. I hope
1: so, Georgina. It's been really lovely speaking to you. Thank you. And um, yeah, I hope the podcast goes from strength to strength. It's really great to hear people sharing more. Knowledge. so thank
0: you so much this was employer branding the inside podcast you can find our podcasts on spotify on apple podcasts and content on employer branding related themes on employerbranding.tech until the next time stay tuned bye